opinions expressed on I Care Out Loud are mine and those of my guests. They should not be considered the opinions of either Ocular Surgery News or Slack Incorporated, although you and I both know they should be. Hey, this is Dr. Daryl White, and welcome to another episode of I Care Out Loud. If you're thinking, and I'm probably thinking the same thing, I'm just going to say it out loud. This time, let's talk a little bit about electronic medical records, EMRs, EHRs. Part one will be the Sky Vision experience, and then part two, hopefully, I'll give a little bit of, oh, I don't know, hope to our our landscape and our worldview and our future. As always, let me start with an expression of whether or not I have any conflicts. I have no conflicts of interest that you guys would consider a regular traditional conflict. Nobody's paying me to consult in the EMR space. Nobody's paying me to speak. Uh, My only conflict is that I've had to use these monstrosities just the way you have, and I found it to be the same exact cluster on a daily basis. So, what's my story? Well, we... Start off all the way back in medical school for me. I went to the University of Vermont. At the University of Vermont, the the late, great Larry Weed, who is the father of computerization in in the medical world, was a professor of medicine. And he was really instrumental in how I thought about all information processing in, in, in medicine. Uh, he built his case from two very specific premises. Number one, there's simply too much medical information for any doctor to be able to house it in his or her brain. And decision-making on, those, on that information, the second premise, is influenced by our data. It's influenced by our internal data set. It's influenced by our own frame of reference and our own biases. Sounds kind of familiar. If you spend any time on Twitter, and I recommend that you do. There's some really smart people. They're way smarter than I am. Uh, If you read people who do medical economics or read read people who are doing medical ethics, you're going to see this whole internal bias issue coming to the fore. Guys like Vinay Prasad, Sarab Jha, uh, Amitabh Chandra, Anish Koka, uh, Ethan Weiss, people like that, Michael Akkad. All you have to do is search hashtag medical Twitter and these people will come up. Dr. Weed clearly envisioned a universe of connected records. And remember, this was way before anybody outside of government had heard of anything that we would now call the Internet. And he envisioned this free interaction of multiple doctors with all of the information available on any patient. Without using the word, Dr. Weed described interoperability perfect, perfectly. Now... Back in the 80s when I was a medical student, UVM was already aggregating all of the data that we had on patients except for the patient, uh, the progress notes, in a great big huge supercomputer, big mainframe computer in the bowels of what used to be called the Medical College uh, of Vermont, MCHV. The sister organization in Maine, the Maine Medical Center, uh, trumped what UVM had been doing by not only having all that data available, but they actually had computer patient order entry uh, for everybody in their hospital. 
When I was a third-year medical student doing a three-year internal medicine rotation at the main medical center, I was entering all of the orders for every patient on a computer. And interestingly, it was put together so well that I was faster entering those orders on the computer than I would have been on paper. Mind you, UVM created medical students who functioned at a level that was similar to the best, most highly functional interns just because of the way we were taught. We were thrown to the wolves 18 months into our medical school experience and sent to the wards. So that's my background. That's where I came to the whole EMR thing. When we launched Sky Vision in 2004, we never gave consideration to having a traditional paper medical record. Never came up. We searched for the kind of EMR that would double down on our philosophy. If you remember from my podcast on the Sky Vision story, we launched Sky Vision with two premises. Premise number one is that quality measures are the table stake. Our patients can't really tell the difference in any real, meaningful, measurable way between the top 1% of performers and the 50th percentile of performers. Patients don't really have what it takes to be able to parse the information and really know who's getting better outcomes. So premise number two was that the only way to compete, especially in the shadow of two 800-pound gorillas here in Cleveland, Ohio, was to compete on the patient experience. We would let quality outcomes be the table stake, and patient experience would be where we would win. Our mission statement was to provide the best experience in eye care. Along that line, we needed some sort of data warehousing that would allow us to very quickly, easily, and efficiently access all the data on every patient and have multiple doctors doing the same thing at the same time. We chose a program based on high-speed scanning, which allowed us to have access to the patient records really pretty much wherever we were and also allowed us to have access to those patient records from wherever we may have been. Fast forward to 2008. The whole world turned upside down for everybody in medicine, but especially for us at SkyVision because our entire business model had been predicated on stealing the best ideas from consumer service organizations and bringing them to bear at the point of delivery of healthcare. The Accountable Care Act in President Obama's second year in office totally upended that by driving smaller practices and smaller organizations into progressively bigger organizations, creating what I think is best described as a commoditization of the delivery of healthcare. Healthcare became a high volume, progressively lower margin business for all but the bigger organizations. The big organizations, of course, are able to charge an overhead fee. And so they leverage that to become ever bigger. Along with that, the bureaucrats in CMS and HHS started to literally both demand and prod practices and institutions of all size to become more digital. The meaningful use regulations coupled with all of the quality regulations were both were really the stick 
if you didn't follow the mandates from Washington, D.C., then you would be paid less. That was the proposition. Now, for several years, they kept pushing this back, pushing this back, pushing this back. And so what we did was we just kept doubling down. We just kept getting better and better at using our original EMR. The original EMR company did the same thing. They kept doubling down on their market advantage. They were the best, most efficient driver of medical information use in practices. And they also didn't impose anything on your protocols. My SkyVision protocols were exactly the same as they had been pre and post EMR implementation. Around about you know, 2015 or so, the numbers started to get really, really stark the penalties that were going to be brought to bear weren't just one or two or three or four percent of revenue. They were 16, 18, 22 percent of your payments from government payers. And we all know that the private insurers follow the lead of the government. So you just you could see that coming. And it really looked like they were going to do it. Still, Somewhere in the back of my mind, it seemed that it wasn't going to happen. And I was willing to keep riding with my old program until ICD-10 came. You all recall that ICD-10 took us from something like eight or 9,000 CPT codes to 27,000 CPT codes. Each code had 15 subcodes. Uh, you know, the patient has intermediate-level glaucoma on a Tuesday, if there's a left-handed ophthalmologist practicing within seven miles of your area code. Crap like that. Interestingly, our EMR kept up pretty well until it didn't. For some reason, we could not code for glaucoma. Now, an ophthalmologist who can't code for glaucoma is kind of like a pediatrician who can't code for strep. You just can't. If you're going to do the digital thing, you just have to have a way to do that. And I finally lost my confidence. Finally lost my confidence in our ability to continue to do what we had been doing. We had made a conscious decision that we were going to overemphasize the vector between patient and doctor. We were going to overemphasize eye contact with the patient and minimize eye contact with our screens. And we could no longer do it if we were going to not take these penalties and not incur the additional expense of having one, maybe two more full-time equivalent employees, FTEs, in our billing department just to figure out the coding. So I spent about six months looking at the available EMRs that work for anterior segment surgery. After listening to all of my colleagues, it became clear that there were two programs that worked for anterior segment, two programs that worked well for high-volume cataract surgeons. And every one of my close colleagues said exactly the same thing. We're in the process of changing, and we're going to use A or B. Or they said... Man, we are so entrenched in what we have that we can't change. But if we were going to change, there are only two choices, A and B. Now, I was stuck. 
you know what it's like when you've got a car and the car's been working really well, but you just know that eventually the next cash that you put into your car is not going to make a difference. You just know you're going to end up on the side of a country road or a side of a, you know, Route 89 in Vermont when it's cold and it's wet and, and there's snow all over the place. And that $500 you just put into the car the last week isn't going to make any difference. And every single dollar you put into the system from that point on isn't going to give you payback. And that's where I felt I was. I had this recurring nightmare that I was going to choose the wrong program. Oh my gosh, I was up nights all the time. And I finally realized that the very best I could do was choose the least damaging option. The best that I could do was choose the option that was less bad. It was a little bit liberating, I suppose. We made the call and in, oh gosh, late summer of 2017, we began the implementation process. I did have one kind of like a highlight. I thought I was going to actually have to pay to access my legacy information on the old program. And I wrote earlier this year that that was going to happen, and I was wrong. Uh, the, we were able to maintain the ability to have access to the old information, albeit with some struggles, but we were going to be able to keep our old information mostly because we had it on an internal server. So a word to the wise, when you get your next EMR, make sure that you're looking very, very carefully at the contract language about what happens if you move to another EMR. We were saved solely because our information was on our internal servers. Had we been in the cloud with version 1.0, I, I, it could have been very different. I don't know the answer to that, but that's you know helpful hint from Heloise number one. We started off with our implementation in what I felt was very reasonable, with very reasonable expectations. We did three patients per doctor per half day. Now, we are a practice that runs on time. We run on time, and when we start to not run on time, we analyze the data and we determine, are we backed up because we don't have enough exam rooms? If that's the case, we open up another room. Are we backed up because we don't have enough technical staff? If that's the case, we hire another tech. Are we backed up because we don't have enough doctors? Well, we just hired another doctor in January. We are data-driven in that way. We went from having a maximum time in the office for the patient for a comprehensive dilated exam of 67 minutes to 100 minutes at a minimum. We got crushed. We got crushed, killed by a million clicks. You simply can't get away from clicking in this modern world, and it doesn't matter what system you have. On January 1st, we went fully live, shut off the old EMR, and fully utilized for every single patient encounter our new EMR, which is fully compliant with meaningful use. It's fully compliant with MACRA. It's fully compliant and capable of developing MIPS data. 
we have all of our alphabet soup in order. It just wasn't compliant with our clocks. We ran at least an hour behind within an hour of starting our schedule throughout our non-busy season in the first quarter. It took us all the way until, oh my golly, September, just maybe two months ago, before we started to be able to run on time. What did it take for us to be able to run on time? We opened up another room and we hired another tech. We hired another tech to do workups. Now, everybody who extols the wonders of EMR say the same thing. Everyone says the same thing. You have to use a scribe. Internists, family practitioners, pediatricians, people who never use scribes, ER docs. ER docs are now trailed by a retinue made up primarily of scribes. You have a scribe who stays with one patient, the next one steps in line. They stay with the next patient, the next one steps in line. It's like they're, they're, they're trailed by minions. And they have two, three, four scribes. Each time one drops off, another one comes in and takes their place. It's like next man up. I've had a scribe since the minute I started doing ophthalmology. I graduated from my residency program in 1990. I stepped into an established practice and they gave me a scribe the first day. I thought I'd gone to heaven. Nobody had to read my chicken scratch anymore. There was somebody in the room to educate the patient when I was done. They escorted the patient to wherever they needed to be to have their examinations. And on I went to my next patient. So I'd always had a scribe. We had scribes who were technicians, full-fledged technicians, because that's really where the efficiencies come in the room with me with the old legacy system. And the same thing happened. I literally capped my schedule at 55 so that I would be able to spend more time with my patients. In the practice from which I'd come prior to Sky Vision, I used to see 80, 85, 90 patients a day. Physically, I can do it. Technically, I can do it, but it didn't really feel very much like medicine. I just felt like a high-speed technician. I couldn't see 50 people a day when we changed. I thought I was going to go out of business. Literally thought I was going to go out of business. I am now up net at Sky Vision, three full-time equivalent employees. I still need another one. I have not seen any more patients. Sky Vision really has not grown in terms of services provided. We're not seeing more patients. My employee census is going up and up and up. Which means that, as a private practice, my income is going down and down and down. Solely because of the EMR. Solely because I didn't have the guts to stick with the old system and stick with what was going to essentially be thumbing my nose at macro and MIPS and meaningful use. Now, let me just step out of this tale of woe and give a huge high five to those practices who basically did just that, who said, nah, we're not doing it. We're using paper. There are a couple of practices here in town that are really, really busy cataract practices. They still have paper charts. When I get a chart 
from them if a patient moves or whatever. It's a chart where somebody's actually writing on real life, honest to goodness, papers and not pa- uh, paper, and I'm getting a Xerox copy. It's like a flashback to, I don't know, 1995. They're missing the advantages that we had with our original EMR. They have to have a chart room. Only one person can look at the chart at the same time. You have to have somebody managing the chart room. But for sure, they're making that up with efficiencies. So what do I think is going to happen to us now? I have the least bad EMR in eye care. I'm hopeful that the company will double down on that and make an effort to make it a good EMR. The record that I get is okay. It looks like a medical record. The challenge is that to do medical record recording now, you have to totally turn the paradigm of your practice upside down. So before I head into the more hopeful part two of this, let me give you one last little historical note and tell you how that has changed in modern medical record keeping. Your medical record some years ago, certainly 20 or 30 years ago, maybe five years ago, was built on the second great contribution from Dr. Larry Weed from the University of Vermont, the problem-oriented medical record. Now, what Dr. Weed came up with is so simple and straightforward that it's absolute genius, and it's that classic genius where you read it for the first time and you go, oh, of course, why didn't I think of that? Dr. Weed said and taught that we should be looking at patients as a conglomeration, at least in the office, of problems that we are to solve. All those things go together to create whatever you might call health in that individual patient. Each problem would be addressed in the same way. We would create something called a SOAP note, Subjective Objective Assessment Plan. Subjective, what do our patients tell us? Objective, what do we measure? Could be tests, could be the physical exam, whatever we measure. Assessment, what is our diagnosis? And then plan. The problem with every single medical record that we are now using, every single EMR, is that it's not really a medical record. What we are doing, what we've been forced to do, is to create a highly efficient, highly accurate billing statement. You're not creating a medical record. What you're doing is you're creating a bill that is defendable. You're creating a bill that is not going to cause any trouble with anyone who's paying you and is going to likely maximize what you're going to get paid. Remember in the beginning, they talked about the two great things that medical records were going to do. The first thing was we weren't going to have to read chicken scratch like mine. And the second thing was that it was going to make our patients safer because we'd be able to have alerts that let us know if there was uh, some interaction that was going to be bad, if there was some historical note that we were forgetting. You don't look at those. I don't look at those. We have something called alert fatigue. We get so much of that crap that we just turn it off. It's like looking at the check engine light in your car 
and you know that there's nothing wrong because you've got a sensor that's off somewhere and you never look at it and you miss the fact that you've got three flat tires because you ignored the sensor from the other flat tire. We just, we don't look. The charts that we are creating now are indeed meant to protect, but they are meant to protect the institution or the business against an audit. They are meant to protect the institution from the billing office out. Not meant to do anything clinically. And the way you use your medical record, if you think about it, tells you this is so. We now start with the assessment. The diagnosis is what drives all the billing. So the assessment is first. We then look at the plan. The plan is what people actually pay for. What is it that you're going to do? Are they going to come back for another appointment? Are you going to send them for an x-ray? Are they going to have cataract surgery? Are you sending in a prescription for cyclosporin or lefitograst? Those are the things that cost money. Objective is next. What is it that you found that justifies the plan that you're putting into place? And last, subjective. What did the patient tell you that started you on this pathway? Literally, for a cataract surgeon, the only place that that comes into play at all is what was the activity of daily living that was compromised by my patient's cataracts such that they met some arbitrary criteria that allowed me to do surgery in such a way that the patient's insurance would pay for the basic parts of the surgery. That's it. That's it. We don't even have a subjective impact on paying for expensive medications. It doesn't matter if my patient says that their eyes are burning, that they have tearing, that they have fluctuating vision at night. All that matters is that the tear breakup time is less than eight. If the tear breakup time is less than eight, sure, we'll consider covering your fancy medicine, Dr. White. We've gone from SOAP to APOS. We've gone from soap to a piece of bleep. That's the problem. And every single system that we use now does the same thing. That's why we were struggling. We had to do all of this extra work to satisfy ever more intricate, arcane, and infinitesimally small requirements on the billing side. But we had to do it in the exam room in addition to doing all the stuff we're supposed to do. Listen to our patients. Examine our patients. Think about our patients. Help our patients. Soap has become a POS. Larry Weed is spinning in his grave. Larry Weed's first great contribution, the soap note, has crushed his second great intellectual contribution, the utilization of computerization to help warehouse medical information and share medical information. That's where we are today. So, SkyVision's surviving. It's costing a whole lot of money. I'll bet that your organization is the same. If you work for a huge organization, my bet is that there's no lot of help, no, no 
big deal amount of help coming your way except in making sure that you're clicking the right boxes at the right time for the right reason, which is to make sure that we're protecting the billing office. What's going to come? What's next? Is there any hope? I think so. I think so. We can talk about that in my next podcast where we'll chat about the hope that might be there after the folly of electronic medical records in the eye care space. I'm Daryl White. Talk to me. Enjoy chatting with you. We'll see you next time.